Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Colossians was written because there was this syncretism that was kind of happening. In other words, they were combining Christianity with sort of their own culture, uh, their old religions, their own basic ideas. And, And essentially, they were trying to add Christ into their own thing. And so they were adding him to whatever they already had and trying to find a way to both serve Christ and something. And the bottom line is that they... They had a hope of glory. We all have a hope of glory, and that's why we're calling it this. I think we're, we're born intrinsically. God has placed eternity in our hearts. We know somehow already that we are not who we are supposed to be. We are not where we're supposed to be. There's a homing device in us that is searching for glory. Uh, we're searching for the glory of God, and we are searching for fulfillment and satisfaction that can only be met in Christ. And what the book of Colossians is doing is it's pointing those people, and they're saying, it's not Christ and anything else. In fact, it's, it's just Christ in you. It's not Christ and you, it's Christ in you. And so this is cool. We had this process. I'm going to risk kind of shaking up over here, but work with me. We, we used this a few weeks ago to show a, a principle. There's a lot of Rubbermaid tubs up, excuse me, Sterilite. Let's give them credit. Uh, but <laughs> there's a lot of tubs up here. And what we're going to do today, what we're calling this, is is the hope of the gospel. And what I want to unpack and see and take this reminder that I think Paul gives us right here in chapter 1 of the importance of knowing where we came from and where we're going. Because later in the chapter, it's going to tell us, just as you received him, so walk in him. And so we need to know what happened in us if we have any hope of walking, continuing to walk in that. So let's work through this. This is is how you, you eventually were, this is how you were born into the world. First off, this is you. Uh, we do recognize you're not made of plastic, thank goodness. Um, anyway, but this is how you came. It, when you were born into this world through the sin of Adam, you had sin in your heart. Because we understand we have this sinful nature that's there. We have a heart that, that wills to disobey God. Even the perfect scenario of the Garden of Eden, they, they began to choose this. And when they did, sin entered man. And we were separated from God. We were alienated from him. And in this process, not only did we had sin in us, but we were sort of in sin. And this is, this is not the place you want to be, obviously. And in here, there's some serious problems. There's some things you've got to deal with. And what I hope to do is unpack what was going on in there and hopefully help us understand what God has saved us from and the hope for the world that we have out here around us. But this is the bottom line. The hope for that was not Jesus and Rome. It was not Jesus and works of the law or legalism. It was not Jesus and some secret religious insight or experience. It was not Jesus and anything. It was not even Jesus and us. It is just this. It is Jesus. It is Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. He begins to change and transform the inside of you. So let's get into this. Uh, Turn to chapter 1. Let's look right at uh, I'm going to back up and read up until verse 21 to put us in context, starting in verse 15. But we're going to pick up and, and really key in on verse 21. So be ready for that. So we want to get back caught up because here's the bottom line. We've been learning that Christ is preeminent. And this is what this means. If you want a definition, let me read it to you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's important. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Man, I love this sentence. It says, all the fullness of God. He wasn't like God light. He wasn't like you have to, to pay the $2 for the app to get the full version. Like he is, this was the whole thing. He was the full version. He was all the fullness of God was in him. And it was, God was pleased how that dwell in Christ. It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. His job is reconciliation, making peace by the blood of the cross. And up until now, we've been looking at the work of Christ and what Christ, who he is and what he's done. And this is where this passage begins to turn the corner and it looks at what he's actually done for us and puts it puts us sort of front and center for just a few sentences. And this is about all we get and it gets right back to Jesus. And even this is really about Jesus. But it brings us into the picture and it says this, verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We're going to get to that next part in a moment too, but I want to key in on this. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So let's look at this. This gives us the condition of who we are and why we needed hope. We talk about this hope of glory, this hope of the gospel that we're talking about today. Why do we need this hope? This is, this is a very clear explanation. And honestly, I think there's a lot of insight into how our hearts work. And how the enemy lies to us through this. And so I think it's beneficial. If you are not a believer and you are not in Christ. And this is where you are. And the only way you get out of here is by faith in Jesus. I mean it's not by works. It's not Jesus and anything. It is just Christ. Are y'all ready for me to switch mics? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can see it on some of your faces. Could y'all like drag this guy up here. Just put it up here. And I'll, I'll, I'll speak from that. And then we'll, 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 we'll make it happen. Thank you Ed. You were gentleman and a scholar. That's how I would like to be known. That's awesome. Here, you can. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> I wish I was that tall. Just a, a constant reminder. All right, let's try this again. <laughs> they love to do that to me. Oh. So as we read that, that, there's really three things we're going to key in on in a second. It's that, and you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. Let's, let's look at those because I think it's important. A lot of times we approach Christianity like this, that it's somehow a way to polish ourselves up a little bit before final inspection, before God. Like, hey, I, I'm going to become a Christian. I just sort of need to, to take a little step forward, polish up a few rough edges, and then when I get to heaven, I'll just be like, look, what, look at the cool work I did. You know, it's kind of like these walls out here. Look how well we painted, you know? Like, you should let me in. I've, I've, I've done the extra work. I even went to church a little bit. Sometimes we think of Christianity like that. You know, I gave a little more money in the offering plate than I used to. And so we think, you know, we're, we're sort of dressing up a little bit, fixing, polishing the outside. 
And, and the, the bottom line is that if that's how you've thought of Christianity so far up until now, and that's how, if, in fact, you are a Christian, and that's how you've been presenting the gospel to your neighbors and friends, right? Then we are missing out on a really big piece of the gospel. You could dare say the whole gospel, <laughs> because it's not about polishing you up. It's about understanding that our desperate need, and this really explains it. And so if, if you're not in Christ, this is your reality. The people that you're sharing the gospel with, this is their reality, and this is why we have the hope of the gospel. So let's break it down. It says, sin alienated us from God. It says, you were once alienated, all right? So what does it mean that we were once alienated? I looked up this, this word so we get a good definition. It means to alienate entirely, to be alien or estranged Webster adds that this to alienate means to, to make unfriendly, hostile, or indifferent where attachment formerly existed. So that's what we're getting. He's saying you were alienated. In other words, you were like these refugees. You were taken out of the country where you belong, and you are now an alien in a foreign land. We, we don't belong here. We were alienated from God. Now, what happened? Well, sin caused this. Because we chose, man chose, Adam chose to sin against God. Now we live in a fallen world with this sin in our hearts. And nothing, and this is important to get, nothing in this world that we are alien to is going to satisfy our hearts. I, I, when I was thinking about this, I thought about that movie Pirates of the Caribbean. Y'all like that movie? It's pretty good, right? So there's that first one, which was an interesting story, all right? These, these pirates go, and in their greed, they took cursed gold and they thought that that gold was going to satisfy them and meet all of their desires. And the story goes, they took that money and used it to try and satisfy all of their earthly desires. But we meet them in the story somewhere cursed on a boat and not actually alive, but sort of undead. And they are basically just a shell of who they were. And you get this scene where the captain takes a bite of an apple. Y'all remember that? And it tastes like nothing to him, just like ash in his mouth. And, uh, you know, I honestly think that this is a good picture of what happens in us in this world. You guys, this world is, is here all around us. Because we've been alienated from God, there is parts of our lives. Now, while apples still taste amazing, uh, it's not going to satisfy your heart. And it can't meet those needs. We are alienated from God. There's something going on inside of us, this homing device, this hope of glory, this hope of uh, being reunited with our God. We are alien from him. And because of that, we're kind of like these these pirates before we have Christ, before we're in Christ, where the things that we think are going to satisfy us don't satisfy us at all. We are, we are in the same way cursed that, that we have been separated. We are alien from our God of death reigned over us. And so I want to make this statement. Alienation is the root of our dissatisfaction in this life. It's this alienation from God that is the root of our dissatisfaction. And so I really think this. Everything in this world was not created to satisfy you. Instead, it was created to point you to Christ. This world was not created to satisfy all your needs. It can't do that. It was created that it might point you to Christ. We see this in Romans chapter one. We don't have time to get there. What a deep passage. But you'll see that it's such a, a appropriate scripture to read today. Go home and check it out. But we see that, that while we've been separated from God, this earth points us back to what we ultimately desire. But Romans 1 tells us that we as humans prefer to worship the created things rather than the creator. And we begin to think that the created things are the source of all the satisfaction that we need. And this alienation sort of takes us to pursue the created things rather than the creator thinking that it will satisfy us someday. 
But in the end, it just tastes like that apple that pirate captain ate. There's just no taste in it. There's no flavor, and it betrays us. In the end, we find that that's not what we were looking for at all. And so we begin to pursue something else, and we just look further and further out from one created thing to the next, thinking that maybe more of something or a bigger something of the same thing is going to fix the thing that it can't fix. More of it's not going to help. It's just having a little more of the thing that didn't work is not going to solve the problem that you're trying to fix. This dissatisfaction in our hearts comes from this alienation from our God. And that's the source. That's the root of all our dissatisfaction. You know, I, I, I tell you those things can't satisfy, but I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. You've experienced this in your own life. We just pretend not to have learned it. And we just sort of think, well, maybe the next thing. But in reality, the problem is that. We're alienated from God. That's the real root. And so it causes us, this alienation, I think the next part he says, it causes us to be hostile in our minds. And I think honestly, because we are dissatisfied here, we're not made for this. We are alien to this world. It doesn't satisfy our hearts. When we realize that we are not finding the abundant life that we think we really want, we're not experiencing that deep satisfaction and fulfillment, we start getting frustrated and somebody has to pay for that frustration. If I'm not getting the satisfaction that I need, it must be someone or something's fault. And so we take that somewhere and we pin that on something and we blame this person or this thing and we sort of look at it as as the source of our frustration. If this one thing could change, I would be satisfied. I would have everything I want. But this person or this thing is blocking the way to real satisfaction in my life and it causes us to become a little bit hostile in our minds towards them. Because we've made friends with the world and we've begun to worship created things we think the world is the source of our contentment and satisfaction and so when the world doesn't cooperate we get really frustrated and grumpy and we go out and get even further than that we get hostile uh there's a scriptural precedent for this if you look at don't you know flip there i'll just paraphrase romans 5 romans 8 and james 4 it says this in romans 5 10 it says that we were enemies And we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Praise the Lord. Much more. Having been reconciled, we'll get back to that. And we shall be saved by his life. So beautiful. Romans 8 says it this way. We had our mindset on the flesh, which is hostile toward God. This is all the same Greek word that's being used here. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And James 4 says this. It says, we were friends with the world, which is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so you see both Paul and James pointing to this. He's saying that we are, we are hostile when we make friends with the world, when we think it's the source, uh, we become hostile to God. It also causes us to be hostile to each other. James 4 writes it like this. James writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you this is how we should see it because you do not ask and when you do ask you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy enmity or hostility with god Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, 
We are alienated. It makes us hostile because we blame the world for not meeting our needs. And then we get really hostile with it. And some of that's our bad attitudes kind of come out of that. Or selfishly want to grab everything, make it work for our needs. Because we think that our hope is somewhere in the created instead of the creator. And so we get hostile to people who don't play along with our story. We get hostile to people who don't supply the needs that we need. We get hostile to the people who are standing in the way of that next thing that we think is going to give us that satisfaction. And because we have that attitude, it says this, that we do evil deeds. That's what the scripture says right here. We were alienated, became hostile in our minds, and then we do evil deeds. We are doing evil deeds, is what it said. That's what we were about. And I think the reason why is because we do blame. And we take this blame and this hostility and we point that at something. And so I don't know what, what you might be guilty of blaming in your life, especially if you're, if you're in there still. You may be, this is the worldview you've been functioning from, that maybe there is satisfaction out there, and I'm going to find it one day. If I could just improve this area of my life, then one day it'll show up. Maybe it's your, your spouse. This is something that goes all over America. We see this just prevalent everywhere. Maybe it's my spouse, and so we begin to blame them. You know, It might cause you to be hostile and even attack your wife. We make comparisons, and we think, well, if, if my spouse was like that, then I, I would have real happiness. I would be satisfied in my life. If my spouse would just behave like that, if, if he would just look at me the way that he just looked at her, then I know that my heart would be satisfied. If she would just look like her instead of, oh man, that would make my heart satisfied. If she would smile at me when I came in the door, like my secretary smiles at me when I come in at work, then that would satisfy my heart. And whatever we kind of do, if they would just do this or do that or stop doing this, then all of a sudden my spouse would do it. My spouse is really the reason why I'm not being satisfied. I blame them. And so I become hostile to them and I spend time thinking about, oh gosh, if we could just fix this one thing, I would be satisfied. But can I say this? Your spouse was not created to complete you. Your spouse is created to point you to a God who can satisfy you. Your spouse can't satisfy you. But it, she can, he can point you back to God. There's an amazing sanctification thing that happens, a sharpening in our life where we begin to grow uh, in character through our marriages. And God allows there to be some friction, I believe, because he's, he's shaping us into the image of his, his son. But instead, when we just want all of that to satisfy, we can really turn uh, our spouse into something we blame for the satisfaction we're not finding. It may not be your spouse, it could be your kids. And we wouldn't ever want to do this. Kids, close your ears. But, <laughs> but honestly, you may. I, I, this makes me sad sometimes when I see parents who want their kid to be able to dunk and they're like three foot tall. And you see that they're super mad about it, that my kid can't dunk, you know. And if my kid could just be 6'6 six, six and dunk, you know, then I would, I would be fulfilled. I'm, I'm making a, I'm, I'm joking around here, but you get the idea, right? You see this uh, in Little League and different things. You see this come out where there's this desire, if my kid could just be a little more, if my kid could just be a little better, a little smarter, a little well, more well-behaved, and then you start comparing them to other things and think, well, if that was fixed, I would be that. You might, you might honestly think, wow, my kids are just draining all my resources and all my time, and if I could just be free of that, it's a dark thought. I hope you're not thinking that, but you know, if it's ever crossed your mind and you're thinking, wow, if I could just be free and just go and live my life, then that would provide the satisfaction that I need. None of your parents are thinking this, kids. Uh, but the bottom line is that whatever it is, and you see this out in the world, people just want to shake off all encumbrances, family, job, whatever, just want to start over. Because the whole thing is, if I could just have a different set of circumstances, then I would be satisfied. But that's not the actual problem, is it? So listen, I'll say this. If you try to siphon your self-worth and satisfaction out of your kids, you're going to give them a complex and all because you're not actually happy with yourself. That's where it comes from. We all know that. And that, that can be true for anybody in your life. But we want to help our kids. We want to disciple our kids. We want to coach and discipline our kids. 
And we want to do that as unto the Lord, not as unto our fulfillment and as unto our self-esteem and our self-worth. Do you get that? We're doing that as unto the Lord. They really do belong to him. Similar actions, drastically different attitudes behind that kind of parenting. But again, your kids are not there to satisfy you. Your kids are there to point you to Christ. And they do that really well, don't they? Lord Jesus! <laughs> My mom, you just see her. She has spontaneous prayer time in the kitchen. She just close her eyes. She's like, hmm. I think she was praying. I don't know. <laughs> Love mom. Uh, it may be work, right? It could be that. And, and we could go right down this big list. Y'all need me to unpack this. But you may think, you know, work is holding you back. I'm tired of this job. I don't get any respect around here. People should be paying attention to me. If they just do it my way, they, everything would work out. This company would be killing it. But instead, we're struggling. If they would just pay attention and listen to me. If they just put my name on the sign. If they would do all these things. And, and we kind of think that way. And, and listen, just to speed up here, our work is not meant to fulfill us and satisfy our hearts in every place. We are meant to work. And God is pleased with that. Work was created before the fall. Our work is supposed to be an act of worship. We don't worship our work. Does that make sense? Our work is an act of worship. It's not what we worship. And when we get that right, wow, it's a huge thing. But when we're looking at the created thing to satisfy us rather than the creator, you might be blaming your job and thinking, wow, if I'd just done this and made a little bit more money, climbed the ladder a little bit higher, uh, wow, things would be so much better. And work is not your purpose. Your work is how you join in God's purpose. And when we do that and we do that well, there's satisfaction no matter what you do, right? We talked about this months ago. Go back and consider this, but God's already given you your job title is ambassador. You're an ambassador to God. Whatever you do while you're being an ambassador, that's up to you. But you are an ambassador for God. And you can do that in any operation that God's called you to. So we find joy and worship in our work rather than making our work the object of our worship. It's a huge thing. Your work was not given to satisfy you. Your work was given to point you to Christ. The same is true for even parents. Some of y'all look back in the past and think, if my parents were more loving, if, my, if they'd been present, if they'd been more godly, if they'd been more wealthy, if they'd just been more proud of me, if they'd said so, if they hadn't hurt me like they did. And listen, with, with all compassion that I have, I understand some of you guys know and have felt and experienced things that I can't speak to that we, get, we don't want to bring up right now. And I just want to say, we love you and we are here for you and we recognize the kind of pain you may have gone through. But listen, if you're looking back and you're blaming that, if that had just been different, I would be satisfied. Wow, you may need to do some work there and deal with some of that. And God can help you do that with whatever's gone on in your parents. But I want you to know this. Looking back at that and blaming that for the lack of satisfaction that you're feeling right now is a misplaced deal. Listen, your parents weren't met to satisfy all of your needs. They were meant to point you to Christ. The same is true for ourselves. If, you think I, if I just looked different, if I'd been a little bit taller... If I, if I could be more focused, you know, if I could be smarter, more organized, if I could be more athletic, somehow be more gifted or, or even healthier. And maybe in that, you look at God and just like, if you just made me different, I would be satisfied. And maybe God, if you could just behave a little differently toward me, you maybe you might be blaming him or mad at him. Listen, I don't know what it's, what's going on. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what disadvantage that God has given you. All I can say is that is in Christ one day, we are all gonna have everything we possibly need and you don't have to fear some of us go through trials that not all of us have to think we think was this fair i don't know but what i can try and tell you is this that all of those things we experience are not meant if you if you had a better self all right if you were all those things you wished about you had been true about you that still wouldn't satisfy you there would still be a hole because how he made you was not supposed to point you to total satisfaction it was to point you to jesus 
So we get this, that we were alienated from God. We are hostile in our minds. And it's caused us to, to actually do evil deeds. Because we default to worshiping created things instead of the creator. And so the created things are not meant to satisfy us. They point us to the creator. So to sum this up, our alienation is the root of dissatisfaction. This dissatisfaction causes this hostility in our minds towards the things that are holding us back. And this hostility in our minds leads us to do evil deeds. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I wanted to bring out this nuance of this. This sin nature is a bit complicated, and there's more to this in Scripture. But from this, I want to pull these things out. This is a progression. This is why we need hope. Because out in this world, if this is all there is, and I've got to suck all the satisfaction I need in my life out of this life, we get kind of panicky, and we start you know, reaching and trying to pull on things that don't belong to us. It causes us to be selfish and hostile, and we'll literally sin against anyone, hurt anyone to find what we need, because this is the only life we have. We're not going to let anything stop us from doing that. We need this hope, because the source of fulfillment that we have is actually not found in created things. It's found in God. And so let's, let's break this down. So what is the solution? We need to get into that, right? We can't just hang out here for too long. The solution to this is, is in fact, the hope of the gospel. And so we see this. Let's read the next, past, uh, the next part of this verse. Verse 21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Here's the good thing. I'm so glad I didn't stop there. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is, this is profound. These three things that he told us before, alien, hostile, doing evil deeds, that is, that's where we are, but there's this whole new deal where God has transformed that. The solution for alienation is reconciliation. God's got to reconcile us, reunite him back with himself. The reason we're dissatisfied is because we're aliens in a world where we don't have God in our life the way that we're created to. And God has resolved that through Jesus Christ so that he's able to reconcile us back to God, restoring that fellowship with him. And so the hope of glory, the hope of the gospel is that we might be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That is the root of this whole issue and let me tell you, if you don't deal with the root, it's, it's kind of a mess. We had have, we have this week to, uh, to prepare these rooms for painting. And as, as our teenagers were, were working in there, we thought no one will be able to fully appreciate how much work went into repairing the, the, these walls. I mean, there's holes everywhere. It seriously looked like somebody got mad and ran through with a shotgun. I mean, it was just there everywhere. And uh, to my understanding, there's 11 years worth of of teacher holes. Teachers, y'all are rough on some walls, let me tell you. Uh, So we were, we pulled, you know, probably 30 pounds of stuff out of the walls and then had to fill back those holes. I'm exaggerating a little bit, I'm not lying. Um, But, you know, but in truth, those walls were a mess. And what we recognized was if we decided that the solution to making those walls the way that we need them to be was to just paint them. That's not going to work, right? Because all the very same holes that were there were going to be their students, right? Like it would have been bad. They would have been mad at us. if we'd, They would have gone back and had to redo it. Because what we, what we did is we were, we were filling in the, the, the holes. And now it's so cool. You just, you're going to walk back there and you're just going to see these walls that look newish-ish. Um, <laughs> careful there. But they, they look really good. 
And absolutely nothing like what we do. If you want a comparison, you can look in the hallway right next to like the doors you come in, the part that's not painted. Just take a little tour and then walk back there and you'll be like, wow, okay. Yeah, but we fix the root before we try to paint over the top. Do you see? And so when we want to understand what's going on wrong in here, we understand Colossians is pointing us back to the root. Because otherwise we just stay in this crazy cycle of repeating these things, looking from one created thing to the next, looking for satisfaction until we find it. I think the greatest example of this that I know of is this. The woman at the well. And I, I was, I'm tempted to go back and read all that scripture, but for the sake of time, I'm going to assume you kind of know the story. The bottom line is that Jesus is working with his disciples and he's, he goes to this well and it's time to drink. And while he's there at the well, there's a, a woman that is also there. And, and, and Jesus sends out his disciples to do a, a bit of errand running and they go run some errands. And Jesus is sitting there uh, with this, this woman and there were cultural things that are interesting. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. He was a man. She was a woman. Those things are interesting. But I want to key in on this part. She goes there and, and Jesus used this object, lection, object lesson using water. She's drawing water to, uh, at the well. And Jesus asked for a drink. You know, And, and while, while they're having this conversation, Jesus begins to point to himself as living water. And basically says, if you want... <laughs> living water you'd be asking me for a drink if you knew who i was because i'm the source of living water in fact he'd said this before in john 4 he says but whoever drinks of the water that i give will never be thirsty again the water that i will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life in john 7 he says that jesus stood up and, and cried out on the day of the feast if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. You see, I think that, that Jesus knew when he came here that we were aliens, that we were hostile. We were, we were frustrated about it. That we're blaming one another, that we're blaming everything. And it's one of the things that causes, there are more reasons, but that's one of the things that causes us to do evil deeds. We're looking for that satisfaction. We are thirsty people. We are hungry people. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I am the, the living water. And I know that you're thirsty and I want to supply that in your life. And he tells basically that to this woman who is at the well. And he, he, he breaks out his prophet skills, which are pretty impressive. And he says, she goes to tell her husband, and she says, he's not your husband. In fact, you have five husbands. And listen, he, this is a perfect example. She was in this crazy cycle. It, I, I don't know if this was all in her control. We don't get the backstory, but I can say this. That maybe, it went, maybe it played out like this. Maybe this woman was like, I just need, maybe a different husband would satisfy me. You know? Or maybe it was the husband that thought that about her, and she kind of got passed down. That would be more comfortable in that cultural setting. Maybe, maybe she was object to that. Well, I just need a better, I need an upgrade. And then all of a sudden you got five husbands. There was a thirst that was there. Certainly she would have been thirsty for love and approval and acceptance. Who knows? We don't know the story. From a lot of different angles, it all works the same way. And Jesus says, I know you're thirsty. Another husband is not gonna fix it. You need me, right? More of what you've already tried is not gonna work. That's how the enemy wants to lie to us. We should try again, you know? That's how we think of, all these things that we do. Well, maybe it was wrong timing. <laughs> maybe I just do it a little bit bigger. Uh, and what Jesus was saying is, that you don't need to try that again. What you need is, is me. And, and I'm gonna talk loud. I'm gonna come off the mic for a second, but I wanna put this together just as a reminder. This is how you get that living water flowing in you. This is what Christ has done.
You've already seen it through here. Praise the Lord. But we get this, that it says that we were in sin, but, but God transferred us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loved. And so it says that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is way better than this in you, right? Yeah. Like this is a match. This is change. This is totally a change. Instead of you having to go to everything and find the faucet on that thing and leach out and siphon out satisfaction and self-esteem from your kids, from your spouse, from your job, whatever else. Instead, you've got it in you, and it's going to start flowing out of you like a living, like a well. It's like a, a fountain of water that's beginning to flow out of you. Because listen, all the fullness of God, remember, not God's light, the fullness of him is in you. And because you have that in you, that's causing this this transformation. So it's not the created thing external of you that's got to fix it. It's already in you that starts welling up in you. It's, it's amazing. But God upgrades it even more. He says, not only have I put you... Well, we got to put the lid on. <laughs> Seal with the Holy Spirit, man. Right. And uh, God has also made it to where it says in other parts of Scripture that we are in Christ. Having trouble. And we are... We are in Christ, and Christ in us. We are also in Christ, and it says that we are together with Christ in God. It's big. They were happy to see me by that. Right? Uh, <laughs> and all that is in here. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So cool. Such a great, yeah, we praise the Lord for what he did. And so, so this is the difference. And so out of this, here's this incredible truth. is not just that, that hey, I've created all this good stuff out here and I hope you guys can find you know, enough to make your life work. I hope you can find a way to be satisfied and, and share that with some other people. No, God took it to the next level. He says, I, you were once alienated, hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, but the solution was not to go out and find a new created thing. The solution is to deal with the root of that and the root was alienation, right? And so he has reconciled us. He has reunited us through Christ's death and resurrection that by faith in Jesus, and as we come to him in repentance, that he transforms us from the inside out and dwells us, seals us in the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ. We are together in God. He says that nobody can pull you out of my hands. You belong to me. You have a new identity. You have a new source of power. It is now my power, my strength that is at work in you that does all of this goodness. It's a whole different deal. And this is what he calls us. This is beautiful. Instead of alienated, hostile, and doing evil deeds, he says that we are holy in his sight. This is crazy. This really is. This is how he sees us. And we are holy in his sight. And we get this. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, this is our position. This is where we are. This is some theological words, but this is true about us already. Now, we are growing in sanctification. That's a progressive kind of thing where we're continuing to, to live. Because this is true, we begin to live more and more Christ-like lives as he shapes our character, knowing that one day he's going to finish it off in heaven. We call that glorification. And one day, sanctification will lead to our eventual glorification before God, where he's going to do all of this, and we're going to experience all of this. It's going to be amazing how he works this out in us. But in this life, we are growing to work these things out in us, and he is working to make us Christ-like in us, but that's where we're working from. He says that we are holy in his sight. That's beautiful. Next thing he says, we're blameless. And we, we sang this song, Faultless to Stand Before the Throne. I almost got choked up right there, because I just think that is... That's insanity. I know me. 
And, and to back up a little bit, it says holy in his sight. In whose sight? An omniscient, all-knowing God's sight. It's not like he forgot. It's not like he doesn't know. It's like he didn't realize that, that we were sinners. Listen, if there was anyone who would catch the detail about us that's wrong, he would catch that one little chink in our armor, that one little loophole in whatever we, we didn't see as we're trying to get ourselves perfected before God. If there was anybody who's going to catch it, it would be the omniscient God. But because of the work of the gospel, because it's Christ's righteousness imputed to us and not our righteousness worked out to show God, like because he's done it in us, that we are literally faultless before the throne. That is crazy. And it says that we are blameless. And this, this is in the sacrificial sense. This word refers back kind of to if you were going to choose a sacrifice to be offered before the Lord, you had to get a lamb that was without blemish, right? Without, without any kind of blemish there. And this, this word in a physical and moral sense is blot or flaw, or shame, disgrace. It says that we are literally without any of those. We have the, the absence of any defect that would disqualify us from acceptance by God. Is that not unbelievable? That that's what God has done in us. He's made us holy in his sight. He's made us blameless before him. It's beautiful. And then he says this, just to top it all off, that we are above reproach. And to summarize this without going into a lot of detail, it's simply this, that you are so perfected because it is Christ in you and it is his righteousness and there's no flaw to his righteousness. That when we are presented before God, your perfection will make you literally unaccusable. Satan, who is our accuser, will be silent. And even if he does throw up any kind of accusations against us, none of it will stick because we are unaccusable. We are above reproach, holy, no blemishes, no defects, nothing to disqualify us, and unaccusable, standing before an omniscient, all-knowing God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That's why we're so excited about being in here. And this is the gospel we get to share with our world. This is, we say loving God, loving Gilmer, we love them enough to tell them this amazing news. Because listen, most of our community is worshiping the created instead of the creator. They put their hope in the created thing. They think, well, a new marriage, a new job, uh, a new relationship with my kids, a new experience, a new, a new vacation, a new whatever will somehow fix it. But listen, over and over and over again, they're finding that it's not there. And those things are betraying them. And we have been given hope in Christ to be able to go out and give them living water that feeds and quenches their soul's desire, that corrects the alienation, that reunites us with our holy God who promises to restore us back into the experience of his presence in heaven for eternity and that we don't have to worry about just getting it all satisfied this life, that he will one day secure every satisfaction that we could possibly need as we see him. The hope of the gospel is that he has transformed us and made us new. And just like the woman at the well, we don't have to be thirsty anymore. We can function in that. Listen, I want to say this. If you've been realizing that you've been walking dissatisfied with the life that you have, and maybe you've been blaming something or someone, you've been hostile potentially, you've seen some evil deeds work out in your life. I don't know. Maybe you realize today that the real problem is, is that you're alienated from God. It's, you need Christ in you. I just want to challenge you. Bow your head and begin praying, even now, and just say, God, I want you in my life. I know I can't fix it. 
A fresh coat of paint is not going to do it. You've got to transform me. You've got to come in me. You've got to make a new thing of me. You got to. You need to put me in you and in God. I need that. I need you to absolutely redefine everything about me from the inside out. I have a hope of glory. I'm not taking it to the created. I'm only going to take it to you. Wow, if that's you and you don't know Jesus, Scripture just says repent of your sin. Come to Christ in faith and ask him for forgiveness. Yield to him and he will save you and make you a new creation before him. I'm not going to tell you the words to say. He's working in your heart. You'll know what to say. Just go to him and just say, I'm sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Yield to him and allow him to forgive you. He's already paid the penalty for your sin. There's no reason to wait. You can do it while I'm talking. You can go before the Lord. Just be like, I'm sick of, I'm sick of this other life. I'm sick of chasing created things. I want you. Don't spend any more time chasing that mirage. One more is not going to fix it. You need Jesus. Never thirst again. If you are a Christian and you're already walking with him, you've taken your eyes off the Lord and you've started to seek after Jesus and the created things, because maybe, let's be honest, when you follow Christ, you are not in control. (laughs) So if you walk in his ways, you don't get to manipulate all of your circumstances to meet your needs because you you are working your circumstances to serve a holy God. And the thing that we sacrifice is a bit of physical comfort for inward joy. And can I tell you, the enemy says that the inward joy comes from going and chasing the created things. I want a relationship with Jesus, but I'm also going to have this thing on the side. Listen, it's not how it works. It's not how it works. Let him have all of it. And you will not believe the freedom and joy. You've experienced it before. If you're already in Christ and you're a Christian, and those who I'm talking to, you already know. I don't have to tell you. Just remember. And just say, I know what it's like to be totally surrendered before the Lord. Yield to him and say, God, I give you that one thing I've been holding back. And as you do that, there is freedom. There is joy that the world cannot offer. There is no created thing that can hit that spot in your life. If you don't know Jesus, come to him. If you do know Jesus and you've drifted and taken your eyes off him, put your eyes back on him. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. We walk in the gospel. We walk in there. And when we do that, we'll share the gospel from in there. And people are going to experience that in our community. Listen, preach that to yourself. Live in that. Walk in that. Claim that and share that. And we'll watch God do some amazing things in our fellowship. Yeah? Awesome. Praise the Lord. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.